0: Great to see you. Thanks for being here. I'm glad <clears throat> to welcome you. I want to welcome everyone who's joining us online. And as always, I want to give a special greeting to anybody who might be a guest with us, especially if you're a first-time guest. Thanks for being here. If you've got a Bible with you, let me hear your pages turning to the book of 2 Corinthians. And when you find 2 Corinthians, find chapter 9, and that's where we're going to spend a little bit of time. Men, uh, while you're turning there, I want to really encourage you to sign up for the men's breakfast this coming Saturday. Uh, I wasn't able to be there the last time we had one. I had signed up, I was ready to go, but our family <clears throat> had to make a quick trip out of town. That was back when my uh, sister-in-law was, uh, was uh, nearing the end of her life, and so we weren't able to be there, but I heard there was a great turnout, and it was a great experience, and so I look forward to being there this Saturday and hope that I see a bunch of you there as well. <clears throat> Excuse me. Wow. This is our fourth and final weekend of this message series called Faith. Uh, And uh, what we've been doing is we've been looking at this just single verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 2, where the Apostle Paul says these words. He says, uh, now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. And that's been like a foundational verse for us, because one of the things that we learn in that verse is that when it comes to whatever it is that God has entrusted to you, whatever kind of a trust God has given you, the key... Quality that you need to manifest with regard to that is faithfulness. Now, when Paul writes about that there in 1 Corinthians chapter four, he talks about having been given by God this trust of what my NIV Bible calls the secret things of God, which is a little bit misleading because it makes you think, well, it's things that are supposed to be secret, but that's not the case. Not things that that need to remain hidden. There are things that Paul needed to reveal, the secret things of God. So in other words, he had been entrusted with the truths of God that he needed to share with others. And the key component uh, to the way he was going to handle those truths uh, of God were faithfulness. That's what God's looking for when he gives us a trust. And so when it comes to whatever amount of money God has entrusted to us in our lives, the key component of managing that money is that we be faithful. And so that's where our series title comes from. And what we've been doing is we've just been looking at four words, four biblical words to help us understand what that faithfulness looks like. The first weekend, we talked about ownership and the biblical truth that everything belongs to God, every single thing. You and I are not owners of anything. Everything belongs to God. Whatever we have has just simply been entrusted to us. And so we need to be faithful with it. The second week, we talked about stewardship, which is a word that means management, and it talks specifically, kind of like the nuts and bolts of how we handle whatever God has entrusted to us. The third word, and what we talked about last week, was the word contentment. We're never really going to have a full appreciation for how we can be faithful in handling the money that God has entrusted us until we discover that contentment doesn't come from money. It doesn't come from the things of the world. It has to be deeper than that. It has to come from our pursuit of Christ, And then today, we're going to wrap things up by talking about generosity. You know, when it comes to money, churches have different approaches. Some churches uh, talk about money all the time, or at least that's the perception. Some churches never talk about money. We talk about money every November. And when we talk about money, we talk about it in a very honest and a very straightforward and a very unapologetic way, because that's the way the Bible talks about money, Honest, straightforward, and unapologetic. That's the way Jesus talked about money. 16 of Jesus' 38 parables were concerned with how to handle money and possessions. In the Gospel, one, Gospels rather, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, one out of every 10 verses deal with the reality of money or possessions. The Bible gives us some 500 verses on prayer, less than 500 verses on faith, and yet the Bible also gives us over 2,500 verses related to money and possessions. And so, we talk about money every November. And on the last weekend in November, we talk about generosity because generosity is a big deal to God. I want you to look at these words on the screen with me from 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 7, and I want you to read them with me. Let me hear your voices. Here we go. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Or in other words, God wants to see us excel in generosity. So I'm going to conclude this faithfulness or this faithful series rather by talking about generosity in a very, again, honest and straightforward way. And that brings us to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. So if you've got your Bibles open there and you're able today, let's go ahead and stand for the reading of the scripture. Just two verses, but <clears throat> we'll spend all of our time in those two verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. I've got my NIV Bible. Here's what Paul writes here. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a, say it with me, cheerful giver. All right, there it is. You can be seated. We always ask that God would bless the reading and the hearing of his word. Let's talk about what it looks like to excel in the grace of giving. When you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, you get, arguably, for the most part, what is the most complete passage in the entire New Testament on the subject of giving, because throughout the chapter, and really this begins in chapter 8, Paul is giving detailed instructions to the church in Corinth about how to prepare for a special offering, a special collection that was going to be received for the Christians in the church in Jerusalem, because it was a large church, and they were very, very poor, and they were facing a great deal of persecution, so they had a great deal of need. Remember, that's where the church first began in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. Uh, The apostle Peter preached the very first gospel sermon ever preached, and the Bible says about 3,000 people responded that day and were baptized. And then, as you continue on in the book of Acts, it says the Lord was adding to their number daily, those who were being saved, and the number grew to 5,000, and on and on and on. So it was a large church, very poor, with a lot of need, and so Paul is taking up this offering for the church in Jerusalem, and he's given some specific instructions about generosity to the church in Corinth as a part of taking up that offering. And so we're going to just look at these two verses to think about that. Now, this is a really simple message, and this is a really simple outline, but things don't need to be complicated when we talk about generosity, Once we understand the ownership of God, once we understand our responsibility to steward or manage what God has entrusted us in a faithful way, once we understand that our contentment does not come from money or the things of the world and we get the generosity, things don't need to be complicated. If you're someone who likes to take notes, write down the very first thing. The first thing that Paul shares in those two verses is that we need to give generously. Write that down somewhere. And we see that right in the beginning in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and verse 6, where Paul says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And that's a fundamental principle about generosity. And it's not something that's original with the Apostle Paul, because you could say he's basically echoing what Solomon wrote in the book of Proverbs, so many years before this proverbs eleven twenty four Solomon writes and says, "One man gives freely, note this yet gains even more, another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. Actually, the very next verse in Proverbs eleven is one of my favorite verses when it comes to generosity, and you see this same principle again proverbs eleven twenty five you can see it on the screen: A generous man will prosper, and then the And Solomon says, he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. And friends, this is a biblical principle that you can count on. Now, I always need to make sure that I say this every year so we don't have any kind of misunderstanding because there are a lot of people who preach a false gospel when it comes to money and giving and generosity. We call it the prosperity gospel. But I want to be sure and say that God doesn't promise us wealth when we give, you know, so you turn on late night TV and you see a preacher with his hair slicked back so far, he can't shut his mouth. And he's telling you, if you send me a gift of a hundred dollars, then God's going to send you back a gift of a thousand dollars. And it's like a a guarantee, a promise guaranteed. I don't believe that's the case. What I believe with all my heart is, is that God promises us a blessing when we obey him. God promises us blessing when we give generously. Now, sometimes will that blessing come back in the form of money? Possibly. It just might. And I've got stories like that in my life, and you probably have stories like that in your life as well. But uh, oftentimes it comes in a greater blessing than that. And I say every year, I think I've said every year that I've been here, how many of you know sometimes uh, there's a greater blessing that God can pour into your life than just putting more money in your pocket tomorrow? Because we have all kinds of needs and all kinds of wants and all kinds of desires. And so the, the, the thing that we need to understand is that the Bible promises that, is that when we obey God, he blesses us. When we obey God in terms of generosity and we give generously, he blesses us. How the blessing comes is up to God. And so that needs to be said, but we need to count on this truth. I mean, what Proverbs eleven twenty five said is true. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself prosper be refreshed, however that comes. And yet, <clears throat> while we like to focus on the, <clears throat> the reality of the truthfulness of those words, there's kind of a paradox in these words as well. And here's what I mean by that. You can give generously because you are excited about and you anticipate the promise of receiving some kind of a blessing. And it could even be a financial blessing. Remember, a generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. But here's the thing, and and I I can testify to this in my own life, and I know many of you can as well because we have so many generous givers in this church. When you embrace a lifestyle of giving, if you, when you embrace a lifestyle of generosity from a sincere heart, then you're going to get to the place where you don't even think about the promise of blessing. And you're going you're gonna to continue to be generous because it's right. You're going to be generous because it's the right thing to do. You're going to be generous because your generosity makes a difference in the world. You're going to be generous because your generosity pleases God. Whatever blessing might come your way, that's kind of an afterthought. You are generous because you're honoring and pleasing and blessing God. That's what happens when you embrace generosity with a sincere heart. A few years ago, a man named A.J. Jacobs, who was an agnostic. Now, what's an agnostic? Well, if an atheist is someone who doesn't believe in God, an agnostic is someone who doesn't believe you can uh, know for sure whether there is a God, whether the, or not there is a God. That's a simple definition but true. An atheist is someone who doesn't believe in God. An agnostic is someone who doesn't believe you can know for sure whether or not there is a God. And so a man named A.J. Jacobs, who was an agnostic, decided he was going to spend an entire year of his life living biblically. I've used him as an example, and illustration before in, <clears throat> in a different context. Um, he was going to spend an entire year of his life following, to the best of his ability, the commands of the Bible, in particular, with a strong emphasis on the hundreds of commands that are found in the Old Testament. So he wasn't going to shave his head for a year. He wasn't going to eat pork for a year. He wasn't going to mix wool and cotton for a year. And you can go on and on and on. And he was real upfront when he did it. He said, I'm not doing this because I'm mocking Christians. I'm not doing this to mock religion. I'm doing this because I just simply want to discover what it's like to live biblically, completely biblically for a year. Well, of course, one of the commands of the Bible that is really strong in the Old Testament is the command to tithe. The word tithe literally means a 10th part. And so it's a command to give a 10th of your income, which is something uh, Jacobs had never done. Honestly, he had never really been that generous in his life. And since he was an agnostic and not a member of a local church or not even a member of a synagogue or something like that, he decided that he was going to tithe and give a 10th of his income to several different charitable organizations. And because he didn't go to church or synagogue anywhere, he was gonna do it all online. Listen to what he writes in the book about that part of his year of living living biblically. He said, when the confirmation emails ping in, so he goes online and he gives a gift uh, uh, to uh, some charitable organization. He says, when the confirmation emails ping in, I feel good. There's a haunting line from the film Chariots of Fire. It's spoken by Eric Liddell, the most religious runner, the one who carries a Bible with him during his sprints. He says, when I run, I feel his pleasure. Now, if you've seen the movie Chariots of Fire, you know what... that means. Uh, he, was a, he was a sprinter. He was, in the, he was participating in the Olympics. He was a devout Christian believer, actually became a missionary later in life and died in an internment camp in Japan, I think it was. And anyway, but he was very devout. And when he's talking about running, he says, God made me fast. And he said, when I run, I feel his pleasure. And so He says, Eric Liddell, the most religious runner, the one who carries the Bible with him during the sprint, says, when I run, I feel his pleasure. And as I gave away money, I think I might have felt God's pleasure. I know I'm agnostic, but still, I feel his pleasure. It's a warm ember that starts at the back of my neck and spreads through my skull. I feel like I'm doing something I should have been doing all my life. In 2 Corinthians chapter eight, And the Apostle Paul in verses two and four writes about a group of churches in Macedonia who are participating in this offering for this church in Jerusalem that was so large and so poor. And this is what Paul writes about those Macedonian churches. He says, out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege. Everyone say privilege. Privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. They pleaded with us to give them the privilege of generosity. This is an example of being generous for the sake of the joy and the pleasure, not the blessing. Whatever that might look like that generosity brings. Because there's something about giving. There's something about being generous. There's something about moving to meet a need that draws you closer to God and helps you feel, to use the words of the movie again, the pleasure of God. That's why Paul says give generously. Here's the second simple thing from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. Number one, give generously. Number two, Paul says, give thoughtfully. And so we go to verse 7. And 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, each man should give, note this, what he has decided in his heart to give. What he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. In other words, what you give and how much you give when it comes to generosity... Is a matter that needs to be determined by a thoughtful process, not by a whim, by a thoughtful process. Now, what's interesting about what Paul writes here is I can't think of any other command in the scripture that offers this same guideline. For example, you don't open up your Bible and and read something like this let each man decide how often he should tell the truth. (laughs) Or let each man decide how often. He chooses to love his neighbor. Those kinds of instructions in the Bible are taught from an absolute perspective with no flexibility, but giving, the subject of giving, clearly, the subject of generosity is different. And the reason why is because giving and generosity is a deeply personal thing. It's a deeply personal thing. And so, our attention to our giving, our attention to what level of generosity we involve ourselves in, should be something that is deliberate and systematic. It requires thought. It's not based on emotions. As I said earlier, it's not based on a whim. It's thoughtful and it's deliberate. I like, Paul, I like Paul's words in First Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 1 because it kind of speaks to this reality uh, that we just talked about, he says, as he's talking to the church in Corinth again, but this time in a different letter, he says, now about the collection for God's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money, note this, in keeping with his income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Again, Paul is giving them uh, an instruction that is focused on being thoughtful and deliberate with regard to their generosity. He's talking about developing this systematic habit of giving, a pattern of giving. It's a big part of giving thoughtfully. You know, the truth is, and I know this because I have uh, counseled a lot of different people in financial matters over the years, is that one of the main reasons why some people don't give, and maybe this describes you or somebody who's listening to me online this morning, is because you you don't have a thoughtful, deliberate plan to give. You know know that I've I've taught you over the years, I really believe that when it comes to handling money and being a good steward, being a good manager of what money God has entrusted to you, uh, you have to have a plan. Having a plan is a critical part of being a good steward of what God has entrusted to you. Proverbs 21, five says, the plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. So the plans, the detailed plans of the diligent can result in profit. While if you just go through life, making decisions on the, on the, in the moment, on the move, then that's foolish according to the book of Proverbs. And that doesn't lead to profit. That leads to, uh, uh, poverty. And so, I've discovered that one of the reasons why a lot of people don't give is they simply don't, they simply don't manage whatever amount of money God has entrusted to them, Note what I'm about to say, with a plan for giving. A lot of people aren't generous because they don't manage, they don't steward whatever amount of money God has entrusted to them with a plan for generosity, and what Paul is telling us in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 7 is that when it comes to giving, when it comes to generosity, we need to be thoughtful. We need to be thoughtful. So we need to give generously. We need to give thoughtfully. Here's the third thing. Paul tells us we need to give cheerfully. Again, we go back to Romans 9, 7. Paul says each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give there's the thoughtfulness. And then he goes on to say, not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves, say it with me again, a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. Now I don't think this requires a lot of explanation because the bottom line is, is God doesn't intend giving to be done as an obligation. And he doesn't intend giving or generosity to be something that is an act of legalism in our life. We need to be People who are generous and our generosity flows from a willing heart. We want to be generous. Let me talk about this from a personal perspective for just a minute. No one ever taught me anything about giving or generosity. When I was growing up, my, my, uh, Family. I went to church my entire life. My dad never went to church, but my we went in the very early days, but then got distracted by the things of the world. And but my mom continued to take my brothers and sisters and me to church. And I don't have any idea whether they ever put a dime in the offering plate or not. Nobody ever talked to me about giving or generosity when I was growing up. Just like no one ever talked to me about managing money, how to handle money when I was growing up. So it was something I had to learn on my own. Uh, And uh, if I were going to be honest, I would say that for the long a long time. My motivation for giving was based on two things. It was based on responsibility and obedience, those two things. My motivation for generosity was based on responsibility and obedience. Now, the responsibility part came from the fact that I was a pastor and I had this conviction that I should never ask you to do something that I'm not willing to do. And so if I'm I'm gonna ask you to give, if I'm gonna ask you to be generous, then I need to be responsible to give and be generous in my life as well. And I'm kind of a simple person with a simple way of looking at life. And so that just made sense to me. And so <clears throat> I had this responsibility motivation behind generosity. The obedience came as I began to really read and study what the Bible actually had to say about giving. And again, because I'm a simple person who looks at life from a simple perspective, if the Bible commands us to give, then I'm going to give. Just like that verse we read uh, just a moment ago in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1. This is the kind of verse that really resonates with me in the Bible because I love how clear the instruction is. He said, now, about the collection for God's people, do what I told the Galatian churches do. I'm saying, well, what do I need to do when it comes to giving? Well, God's basically saying, well, here's a good example. Just do this. On the first day of every week, each of you should set aside a sum of money and keep with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. And that makes sense to me. That's something that I understand from the standpoint of obedience. And so, for a long time, my giving, any level of generosity that I practiced in my life was based on obedience and was based on uh, responsibility. But as time went by, because we all get a little bit wiser as we get older, right? Hopefully, there's hope for your children, hopefully. <laughs> but as time went by, I began to understand more of what it meant to give cheerfully. And giving cheerfully was something that I began to understand and experience when I added a third dimension to my motivation for giving, and my third dimension was thankfulness. And giving and being generous because I was thankful for, so, for all the things that God had done for me. Thankfulness and generosity should go hand in hand. I mean, we could, spend, we could spend three or four hours here today just talking about everything the Bible has to say about our need to recognize how thankful we should be to God. I mean, I think about Lamentations 3:23 says the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, his mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. What a great verse of scripture that is. Think about it again. The steadfast love of the Lord never, ever ceases. His mercies never, ever come to an end. Not only that, but they are new, brand new. That's the meaning of the word in the Hebrew: Hadesh. Brand new. Never been experienced before. Every morning, great is your faithfulness. Only an infinite God can pour some kind of a brand new blessing into your life every single day. We have so much to be thankful for. I mean, I'm thankful for everything God has done for me in my life. I'm thankful for my wife and my children. I'm thankful for my family and friendships. I'm thankful for all the churches that I've served. I'm so deeply thankful for Mount Pleasant Christian Church and the time that I have been able to spend here with you as a pastor and all the wonderful things that we've experienced together. You can go on and on and on. Look at these words on the screen from Psalm 116 and verse 12, David writes and says, and we could all say this. Read it with me. Let me hear your voices. How can I repay the Lord for all his goodness to me? Couldn't you echo those words in your life? God is so good. He's so generous to us. He blesses us over and over again. We can never repay him for all the goodness he's poured into our lives, but we can honor him and we can bless him by giving a portion of what he's entrusted to us to meet someone else's need to meet the need of the rest of the world. And so now my giving motivate, is motivated by responsibility, by obedience, it's motivated by thankfulness. But there's a fourth thing that I added too that really helps me experience what it means to be a cheerful giver. And the fourth thing was to, I give just because I have the sheer ability to give. Because there is the ability to give. Because God has given me and he's given all of you the ability to give and the ability to be generous. Now, you might not think that's the case. As you look at your financial life, you might not think that's the case, but I'm telling you that it is. First Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 and 18, Paul says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, note this, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. Now, some people will hear those words, and you'll get to the part of the voice where it says, Those who are rich in this present world, command those who are rich in this present world right off the beginning, and they'll say, I'm out, because that's not me. I am not rich in this present world. And I, I understand, let's all understand together, that money <clears throat> is a subjective thing because what is a lot of money to one person is not a lot of money to another person. And so it's hard to, to talk about it in those terms because of that. But <clears throat> you might not see yourself as rich or as wealthy as you would like to be, but that doesn't mean you're not rich and wealthy enough to be someone who practices generosity. Every year, we just need to broaden our horizons on how we view wealth. Every year, the financial services company, Charles Schwab, puts together what they call a wealth survey. And what they do, how they do that, is they they survey a 1,000 Americans every year from the age 21 all the way to the age of 75 to come up with their wealth survey. And in their 2023 survey, people, the people they interviewed or surveyed rather revealed their belief that it takes a net worth of 2.2 million dollars to be considered wealthy in the United States of America it takes a net worth of 2.2 million dollars to be considered wealthy in the United States of America now somebody could look at that and they say yeah i I'm I'm gonna double down I am not those who are rich I'm um, this verse in First, First Timothy chapter, chapter six verse seventeen that doesn't speak to me, but Paul doesn't say command those who are rich in the United States of America. He says command those who are rich in this present world, and so we need to measure wealth from a different perspective. When you measure wealth in the context of the entire world, you find that if you have food in your refrigerator, clothes on your back, a roof over your head, and a place to sleep, you are richer than 75% of the world's population. If you can say along with that, you have money in your bank or money in your wallet, you are among 8% of the world's wealthiest people. The average global income in the world today, 2023, is $9,733 a year. I can give you more stats that can be even more specific. And that $9,700 number is inflated because of the super wealthy. But I think you get the idea. I can give cheerfully in my life because I understand responsibility, I understand obedience, I understand thankfulness, and I understand that whether or not I have as much money as I would like to have, I got enough money to give. I've got enough money to be generous I have the capacity to give and be generous. And I think every honest person listening listening can say the same things, at least in terms of capacity. Capacity. You might not feel like you can give, but that will almost always, listen to me, and I'm not trying to be harsh. Listen, that almost always has to do with either the way you're handling whatever amount of money God has entrusted to you. You're not handling it thoughtfully with a plan. Certainly not thoughtfully with a plan for generosity, Or maybe you're handling it in a way that really can only be described by by selfishness or self-interest rather than what I might be able to do. So let's close by talking about how much we give. According to Christianity Today, American evangelicals, we would fall into that category, give about 2.5% of their income to the local church. Now, charitable gifts are not limited just to the local church. And so you can kind of expand that. And according to the Department of Labor, the average American gives about 3.7% of their income to charitable causes. Now in the Bible, if you think about how that stacks up in the Bible, you can go to the Old Testament. The Old Testament talked about the giving of a tithe. We talked about that earlier. And we don't have time to go into detail about that, but the word tithe literally means a tenth part. And so the simple understanding is a tenth of your income. But that's really not even accurate in the Old Testament because there were multiple tithes that God's people were required to make. And the Old Testament law. And so if you measured it all up some years, it could be as much as 33.3% of all they had, they gave back in some kind of a gift, some kind of a tithe. Now in the new Testament, we don't, we're not taught specifically to give a tithe. The the difference being that the old Testament and the new Testament, you could substitute the words Testament. You can say the old Testament is an old covenant. The new Testament is a new covenant. You can say the old Testament is an old agreement. The new Testament is a new agreement related to our relationship with God. And, um, In the New Testament, the New Covenant, the New Agreement, as New Testament Christians, we're not commanded to tithe according to the Old Testament law. But I'll tell you, like I've always told you, that I really believe the giving of a tithe is a great generosity plan for several reasons. And you can see my reasons on the screen. They don't change from year to year. Number one, again, because I'm a simple person and I look at things from a simple perspective, I think the tithe can be viewed as an eternal principle. I mean, when God began to talk about generosity, he began by talking about a tithe. He began by talking about 10%. And another reason why I think that, uh, that a tithe reflects an eternal principle is because of the second reason on my list. Because when we tithe, we give God first place in our finances. I think about, Um, for example, words like the ones written by Solomon in Proverbs chapter three and verse nine, when he says, honor the Lord with your wealth. Note this, he says, with the first fruits, with the first fruits of all your crops. And when you can make a commitment to to generosity uh, related to the tithe, then then you can say, I'm giving God the first 10% of what he entrusted me. I believe that the tithe is a great antidote to greed. Here's here's an immutable principle of money. Friends, nothing breaks the power of money in your life or mine quicker than giving it away. Nothing breaks the power of money quicker than releasing the grip and giving it away. And so the tithe is an antidote to greed. Uh, The next one is is, uh, the tithe keeps giving proportional. We don't all make the same income. There are always going to be haves and have-nots and people in between in this world that we live in. It's just going to be the reality of life. We're all going to be in different economic classes and areas. But when everyone gives a tithe, then it might not be an equal gift, but it's an equal sacrifice. And so it keeps giving proportional. Everybody's making the same practice, or sacrifice. Number, uh, number, the next one is I believe tithing strengthens our faith because it does take a commitment to do this. And uh, then I can say at the end, I think tithing is a great place to start. You know, I mean, if, if, if you could describe giving in the Old Testament as being uh, giving that was motivated by the law, you can describe giving in the New Testament as giving that's to be motivated by love. And so if I started where the law started, and then went beyond that, then uh, that is a strong commitment to generosity. And so um, here's what I want everyone to do as we bring this stewardship series to a close in 2023. I think there are three things that we should all do. Number one, I think everyone should pray for God's guidance. I, mean, I think you should pray with, for, about how you handle the money God has entrusted you. Everyone should do that. Everyone, we should always be praying that we would be good stewards, good managers of what God has entrusted us. Number two, I think you need to put together a plan. Whether you're single, whether you're married, whoever you need to get together with in a room, you need to put together a plan. You know, I go back to our text in Second uh, Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, the first part of the verse said, each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, what he's planned to give in his heart. And so you need to put together some kind of a plan. If you're not managing the money God has entrusted to you from a position of knowledge with a plan, then you're already failing when it comes to the area of stewardship. And then number three, I think you should build some sacrifice into your plan because I think every one of us needs to be stretched in our faith, in every aspect of life and living, not just financially, but in every aspect of life and living, we should be willing to be stretched. I, I, I discovered something this, this uh, year when I was putting this message together that I'd never read a quote from C.S. Lewis that I'd never stumbled upon before, but it was related to generosity and related specifically to the idea of building some sacrifice into your generosity plan. He said, I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare If our charities, note this, if our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, they are too small. And then he says, there ought to be things, this is really convicting. There ought to be things that we should like to do and cannot do because our charitable expenditures excludes them. When's the last time your generosity for some worthy cause kept you from purchasing something or kept you home from a vacation or a trip, or just kept you in, a, in the same place you were, financially speaking, because your commitment to generosity was that strong. Several years ago, there was a family in our church. They have since moved away to uh, another state. Uh, and. Um, I haven't seen her talk to me in a long time, but we had had a, a weekend where we showed one of the videos, many videos that we'll show from time to time related to central India Christian mission. And, uh, in this particular video, brother Ajay was talking about the, how great a need there was for clean water, uh, in India, especially in the tribal areas that they serve. And, uh, Uh, So a big thing that they do in India through CICM is they, they dig wells. And he was saying in the video that every time they dig a well, a church gets planted because they dig a well and then people come from all these other parts of the tribal areas to get clean water. And a lot of the time they stay there. And so when they stay there, they'll send an evangelist into that area where the well has been dug and he'll begin to share the gospel with people there and they'll make that their new home and a church will come as a result of that. And so this family came to me one time. and They said, listen, we, we, th- we talked about it and we prayed about it thoughtfully. And we're gonna forego Christmas this year the way we normally do it. And we're gonna give all the money that we would spend on Christmas to uh, Central India Christian Mission, specifically for the purpose of digging a well somewhere. And that's what they did. They said, we don't want, we don't want anybody to know about this. We wanna be anonymous. I said, well, can I at least tell the story without using your names? They said, yeah. And so that's what they did. They made that sacrifice. Instead of, instead of uh, spending the money that they would normally spend on Christmas, in every aspect of Christmas, they gave all that money and Sam was able to dig a well in a new part of the tribal areas and there's a church there today and there'll be people in heaven because those people decided one year at Christmas they were gonna make that sacrifice. How special is that? God wants us to live generous lives. You got a commitment card when you came in last week and this week. Uh, We do this every year. If you're a guest or uh, a somebody who's not a member, a long-time attender, then we don't expect you to fill out this card. This is the responsibility of our members and long-time attenders. If you're a guest, I don't want you to be nervous about this, but I want you to understand that we are a church committed to generosity because we're a church that wants to live out the mission of changing the world for Christ, one life, one family, one opportunity at a time. And so you can see there are three options related to a commitment. Um, Begin to give faithfully and consistently with the tithe is my generosity goal. Maybe you can't start there but that needs to be your goal. Begin or continue to tithe is my measurement of generosity. Thank you to all of you who do that. Begin or continue to give over and above the tithe is my measurement of generosity. Thank you to all of you who already do that. Our card is filled out. I put an X on the last box to continue to give over and above uh, the tithe is uh, the measurement of generosity for Sandy and I. Uh, There's some... uh, receptacles outside the doors of the worship center. You can drop your card in those receptacles if you're ready. If not, then take it home and pray about it, just like we talked about. Take it home and pray about it. Develop a plan and a commitment to generosity and then stick by that plan and give generously uh, and give cheerfully. And just know, friends, know, and I mean this from my heart. We do this so that we can live out the mission of changing the world for Christ. One life, one opportunity, one family at a time. Let me just ask you a point blank question this morning before we close. What else or what other thing are you involved in in your life right now today that allows you the privilege of being able to say, I know I'm making a difference in the world today? What other world-changing Activity, are you involved in in your life beyond your participation here at Mount Pleasant Christian Church? I think I probably told you this story, but it bears to be repeating. A few years ago, and the team can get ready to come and close. A few years ago, I went to Dallas to visit our mission partner, Pioneer Bible Translators. Their uh, headquarters are in the Dallas area. And I spent a day there with Greg Pruitt, uh, the president who's been here and shared from our pulpit and a couple of other strategic leadership people there uh, in the ministry. And um, at one point they said, listen, we have something uh, unexpected that we want you to do. And they, they took me to this room. They said, just sit down here and we'll be back in for a few minutes. And I didn't know what it was, I had no idea. And so uh, a few minutes later, a man came in that I'd never seen before, never met before. And he sat down, we were at a long table and he sat down directly across from me. And turns out he is the man who is charged with the oversight of the project, the translation project that Mount Pleasant is fully funding. We as a church are fully funding the translation of the scriptures into the language of the single largest remaining unreached people group in the world in Southeast Asia. We can't even say their names out loud because of the communist government that they live in and all of the restrictions that are related to that. And so he came in and he introduced himself to me. And he told me he was in charge of the project. And he started and he told me about the progress of the project and how he had been disrupted because uh, the country where this is happening decided that they would throw all the missionaries, all the Christian missionaries, were dismissed from the country. And so they had to refocus their strategy and they had to send people back in. At, At that time, they were they were prayerfully, prayerfully waiting for two women, two young women. two young college-age women to be allowed into China, not as missionaries, but as they had another profession and that they would serve bivocationally in China to um, help oversee the translation project, primarily by training uh, the native people there to be able to do the translation, to keep it as far as they could under the radar. And it it was a very moving time, as he talked about it, and he became emotional different times. But the thing that stood out to me that I remember the most is at the end, he said, I, I wanted to come here today because he lives in Southern California and he flew there just for the day, just for an hour, just to spend an hour with me that day. He said, I wanted to come because I wanted to tell you that with all the challenges that we have faced along the way, there wasn't a single day, there hasn't been a single day when I woke up wondering where the money was gonna come from to make this happen. And that's because of, that's because of your generosity. That's because of this mission to change the world for Christ. One life, one family, one opportunity at a time. And this is one way we live that out. And my prayer is that you would embrace that opportunity through generosity. Father in heaven, we are so grateful for the chance to open up the Bible every week and talk about the truth of your word in a practical way. And I just pray right now for generosity among your people. I pray, for, I pray for the recognition that everything belongs to you, that we're just stewards, which leads to good stewardship, thoughtful stewardship, managing whatever amount of money you've entrusted to us with a specific plan. I pray for contentment that comes from pursuing Christ and living a life of obedience to you, not from pursuing the things of the world. And I pray the result of it all will be generosity that literally changes people's lives around the world, beginning right here and moving all around the world in India and Poland and Asia and Egypt and Cuba and everywhere we have an influence. Give us the courage and the faith to be generous. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.